good to be together tonight to sing these songs of praise and to, again, study from God's Word. I invite you to open your Bibles in your Old Testaments to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, where we just sang a song that referenced the words of the writer there in Proverbs 31. We're glad to have you here tonight. We're glad to have visitors with us and for you taking the time to worship and study with us as we engage in the study of God's Word and the praise of His great name. This morning we talked about making marriages meaningful. And I mentioned at the outset of our study this morning that it was going to be a little bit of a different kind of study in that, number one, it's going to be a two-part service or two-part sermon. And so we have part B or part two this evening. It's also a different sermon in that not only am I using scriptures to prove these points, the five major themes or observations about what it takes to make a marriage meaningful, but also to incorporate the views and the valuable asset that we have as members at Northfield Boulevard in that a number of you answered questions. Now, it was five or six months ago, uh, and it took me a while to find the right time to do this. And I finally said, we'll do it now. That way we can go back to back while David's out of town. I'm not trying to preach it so that David doesn't hear it, so that Teresa doesn't hear it. Uh, But the fact is, I'm sure they'll listen to it, and we appreciate the work that they are doing. Look forward to seeing them back here relatively soon. We established first this morning that in order for a marriage to be meaningful, the number one, God has to be number one. That God has to be at the center of the marriage, the center of a person's life. And that he needs to come first in order for the marriage to really be successful. Then we stated that number two, that there must be a real union. The idea of being united or being one together. And thirdly, we talked about about, uh, nine to twelve different passages that where we rely on the Bible's teaching to help us to understand how important marriage really is. And we use scriptures that you all came up with, including 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A number of you referenced 1 Corinthians 13 as one of your go-to passages for helping your marriage relationship. So we're going to talk about two themes tonight. The first of those is that our spouses are to be viewed as valuable or are to be honored. One marriage therapist who has a faith-based background, put it this way, that the idea of honoring your wife or uh, you could also say valuing your husband is the same way that you would look at some rare commodity that if someone, he uses the illustration, and some of you may have heard this before, that if I were to bring in uh, a, a perfect Stradivarius violin that was in pristine condition and it's worth multiple, multiple thousands, if not close to a million dollars, that your initial reaction, if I were to pull it out from underneath the podium, you would go, wow, something valuable, something rare. And he likens that to the way that we should look at our wives, that the way she, so, so if you want to try something tomorrow morning when you wake up and you see your wife, just go, wow. The idea of honoring, the idea of valuing is something that is important to appreciate about one's spouse. And so we look at some passages to consider. And I want to start with Proverbs chapter 31. Now, we're not going to read all of chapter 31. 
especially the last two thirds, which help us to understand what it means to value one's spouse. But let's just read a couple of verses and we'll kind of jump around and look at maybe three or four verses. But starting in verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife, he asks. Who can find a wife of valor? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of grain. The idea of her being hardworking and being a provider. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 28, her children rise up, and they call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Give her the fruit of her hands, verse 31, and let her own works praise her in the gates. And so if you go and read those verses and kind of meditate on those 20 to 22 verses, you really get a picture of a valuable woman, of a valuable individual. The same is taught, or a similar concept is taught in the New Testament, and we read from Ephesians chapter 5, but we did not read verses 22 through 27, which we want to do together this evening. But Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he writes in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, so that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And a third passage that kind of provides the framework or the basis for this particular point that we're making, that a husband is important, a wife is important, and each spouse is to be valued, comes from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, besides Ephesians chapter 5 and Proverbs 31 from a distant vantage point, these are passages that in and of themselves aren't talking about marriage, especially 1 John chapter 4. It's our go-to passage. In fact, I was thinking about this that in the past three to five sermons that I've preached, I've gone to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 now, at least two or three times in the last month or two. Because it is so valuable to talk about the relationship that we have as brethren, the relationship that we have with those in the world that we care about, and certainly is the case when it comes to our relationship with our spouses. That being said, a meaningful marriage, which is what we are after, a meaningful marriage is one where each spouse values his or her mate and then acts accordingly. In Proverbs chapter 31, where we read just a moment or so ago, we acknowledge the fact that husbands should not take a good wife for granted, but instead are to value her. And so as we did this morning, we uh, lean heavily not only on Scripture, but we have uh, thousands of years, I was thinking about this, we have thousands of years of marriage experience in this building. Because we have individuals who have been married for 59, 60 years. We have people who have been married for 35 and 40 years. People have been married for two or three years. And like we said this morning, this is certainly applicable to all people. Even if you're not married, you may be thinking about getting married. Uh, or you had some marriage experience as a result of a marriage 
that ended in the death of your spouse. And these are things that are applicable to all individuals. A husband, a man who'd been, who's been married for 40 years, says the biggest surprise in the early years of marriage was just how mechanically inclined she was. She quickly became the go-to person to analyze and fixing things around the house, and I was more than happy with that. And so he values his wife for that. Now, this was written by a man who's married for 40 years. This could easily be written by a man who's married for about 11 years. Because in our household, there's one person who is mechanically inclined, and it's not me. <laughs> so the fix-it person is Wendy in our household. To value means to compromise and to work together. So let's look at some passages here very quickly as we then get back to some more comments from individuals. One is don't be bitter. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19 is a text that I thought was kind of appropriate for this particular discussion. But he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now, I've long said that scriptures do not teach us to do things that are easy or things that come natural, but rather they teach us things that are difficult and things that we must work at. And so when it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them, that tells me that there may be times where we struggle in that relationship with our wives. So to value means sometimes we must compromise and we must work together. To value means to practice honesty. Because if there's one thing that can kill a marriage or destroy it or otherwise harm it, it is dishonesty. Flip over just a page or so in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true or noble or just or pure or lovely of good report... If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So much packed into that one little verse in Paul's powerful epistle. But the first thing that he says, whatever things are true, there in verse 8. We need to appreciate the truth and appreciate honesty. And the, we know that the Lord does not like lying lips. We're going to be talking about the power of the tongue in a couple of weeks. But to value means to practice honesty. And thirdly, to value means to respect and to love. I made mention of this probably a few months ago in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33. And we just breezed through a couple of passages in Ephesians chapter 5. But in verse 33, the Bible says, Nevertheless, let each of you in so particular love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There are two key verbs in verse 33. One is respect and the other is love. I would submit, not because I have mastered it, but because the Bible is correct and we trust it, that if there is love and respect by both parties in a marriage relationship at all times, you will have a very blissful marriage. If there is love and there is respect. Now, of course, that's based on the premise that God is at the center and God is number one and the fact that we are united together and that we are relying on the Bible, the first three points that we looked at this morning. But that being said, I want us to appreciate what a woman of some 40 years in marriage has to say on the subject. She said the following. She said, decide from the beginning that you will work hard to praise your spouse to others. And just as important... 
One of our members said, Please do not ridicule or bash your spouse to others, including family and friends, or even in Bible classes. This person got very specific. Apparently, and I, I think I remember who this person is, but it doesn't matter. This particular female must have experienced this kind of uh, situation at some point. So it is one thing to have a disagreement. Uh, it is one thing to not get along, but it is another thing to share that with others. Uh, her husband filled out the same survey and just put in his points. He kept writing ditto, ditto, ditto the whole time. We talked this morning how the woman is very flowery in the way that she words everything, and the man just writes a, a word or two. But he did say this about this. He just said, isn't she so smart? <laughs> and I thought that was great. A woman who's been married for 41, now going on 42 years, says, my spouse is valuable because he is a good provider. A woman who has been married for just a decade or just a little bit less he leads our family in a way that is easy to follow with confidence and trust in him. And I thought that that was nice to hear. And if she has not said that to her husband, then her husband can hear it in this particular venue. Respect is the word that this person used. Respect each other. Don't take the other for granted. Always be kind and considerate of the other person's feelings. After 35 years of marriage, apparently it seems to be working quite well for this particular married couple. A woman who's been married for just two decades says, We have learned to work together on issues that are important to each of us, and we each try to respect the differences that we have and hear each other's sides of things. Why are they doing that? Apparently because he values her, and apparently she values him. And apparently those two verbs are a key part of the marriage relationship from Ephesians 5, verse 33. Love and respect. My spouse is valuable. Always, this person says, show respect to your spouse. Put God first, your spouse second, and then your children. That woman said this after 40 years of marriage. Let me digress just a little bit that I know of another woman uh, who is dear to me who's been married for 50-some years, and she said the same thing. And mom always taught us that the God comes first and that your spouse comes next and then your children after that. And that's sometimes difficult for some people to hear. I think especially for mothers to sometimes say, what, you want me to put my children beneath my husband? Well, maybe rephrase that. Prioritize your husband and that relationship like we said this morning so that your children benefit from that perfect example. Not perfect in the sense that you don't make mistakes, but perfect in the sense that it is complete because God always comes number one. I'll tell you one of my pet peeves is when you, you watch a wedding ceremony on TV. You don't see it too much in, 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 in spiritually minded people's marriage ceremonies, but the husband is there, the, the husband-to-be, and, the, and the, the bride walks down the aisle, and the preacher man, or sometimes the preacher woman, as you see sometimes on, on television shows, will say, this is the most important day in your life. Wrong. Incorrect. Not factual. The most important day in your life is what? The day you said, I want to become a child of God, I'm baptized into Christ, I confess Jesus. Now, 
it is true that that's the second most important choice you're ever going to make because you're going to spend the next 40, 50, 60 years. And as someone said to me this morning as, as she was exiting the building, she says, I think that our young people need to make sure that they understand what they're getting into. And those of you that are on the cusp of marriage need to understand that this is a serious, lifelong commitment. And that looks will fade. I mean, some of our looks don't fade. <laughs> but looks will sometimes fade a little bit. Sometimes we'll put on a little bit of weight or lose a little bit of weight to our digression. But we still love each other after 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years, as some will be celebrating very soon. So always show respect. Love your husbands even in tough times, this person says. Respect him and remember he is your protector and the head of your home, not you, not your children, not anyone else. And apparently after almost, or after almost 50 years, this woman has some insight. This particular woman who's been married for just uh, a few years says, My spouse loves me and treats me very well. He very rarely complains about anything. And he always shows appreciation for things that I do for him. He likes to spoil me, and he doesn't complain about going out to taking me to do things. In response to the question, what was the biggest surprise in your marriage? That's one of the eight or nine questions that I had asked on this survey. A man who's been married for 35 plus years said simply, she likes sugar in her cornbread and grits. <laughs> I'm not going to give any commentary because that's, that's a no-win argument there. <laughs> I'm not getting involved. What is the single most important thing your spouse does for you? A man says she keeps the house running, shopping for groceries, cooking, cleaning, doing the laundry. This man is not suggesting that he doesn't help with those things, but he's suggesting that with his work schedule, it makes it difficult for him to keep those things up. Because I can't imagine doing what I do, my work, and having to manage all this at the same time. She is indeed, and he put in quotes, my helper after 35 years of marriage. And so we need to appreciate uh, that valuing our spouse is important. Number five, and finally, be thoughtful. And I appreciate Brother Ben leading us in those good songs We've had great songs all day today about praising our God and about the importance of the family and of angry words, oh, net, oh, let them never. But there are three passages that I want us to consider at the conclusion of our study together this evening. One of those is my favorite in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. And we'll come back and close with this passage. But let's just read those verses rather quickly and make a quick observation. We'll come back and close in a few moments. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Those verses are not about marriage, again. It's not until chapter 5 that Paul gets to the marriage subject. But already he's talking about the relationships that we have with each other in the way that we treat each other. And we say bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking. Let those things be put away from you in your marriage. 
Don't let that be a part of who you are in your relationships. James chapter 1, verse uh, 19 and 20. James, the epistle writer, the attacker, uh, the, the get to the point style in which he writes, says the following. And he says in verse 19, So then, my brethren, let every man be swift to hear, but be slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, that's not a marriage verse, but it fits very nicely. A marriage verse, one that goes very strikingly close to the subject of marriage, is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So all of these verses together... And so many more that we could uh, reference this evening tell us that we're to be thoughtful, to be kind, to not be angry with our words, and to be as considerate of one another as we could otherwise be. And it goes back to the point that I made this morning, and I want to reiterate it for the benefit of those who weren't here, and just because I believe it is such a strong point that we do not use the DVR. We do not use the D word in marriage the divorce word, even jokingly, we never resort to violence and we never take off our rings in anger. Consider how the words you say will be heard and be filtered. Sometimes we say something and as we say it, we're like, wait a minute, that may not have come out the right way because the filter of the person is different and that's a fancy word. But remember that that's where it comes to being slow to speak. Usually, and I, and, I, and I put this in parentheses because it is usually, but communication usually comes more natural for only one of the spouses. Not always. There are exceptions to the rule. There are exceptions that some, some men ha- are better communicators than women. Uh, oftentimes women seem to be better communicators than men. One therapist of a spiritual background said that women are the untapped marriage manual, that if you use them, they will teach you about marriage, and there's certainly something valuable to be said for that. Be patient and be helpful to each other and be respectful of each other and make sure that the golden rule applies, the rule that it wasn't called golden by Christ, but certainly we've nicknamed it that way, and it seems appropriately so, that we do unto others as we would have done unto ourselves. And so we turn our attention to some thoughts of some of our members. And one particular uh, male member of this church says, Love her as yourself. From the beginning, she is a gift from God. A woman married three years says the following. She says, Compromise is so important in a marriage. You are never going to get everything exactly the way that you want it and learning to compromise, give and take is going to be so important in your relationship. Your relationship will become stronger when you put others' needs above your own. I thought those were wise words of someone who's only been married for a handful of years. Avoid this particular woman of nine years says selfishness. Avoid it. If you are both always thinking of your spouse before yourself, you will avoid A lot of disagreements. Incidentally, this was the same individual who on her survey said, I've not found that in the first nine or ten years of marriage for it to be very difficult. 
So the same person who says marriage has come relatively easy for us in the first decade is the same person who says put your spouse before yourself. Coincidental? Nah. It's just the way that the attitude works. A woman who's been married for almost 50 years says you can't know what the other person is thinking. And that's valuable words for all of us as men, all of us as women. We can't be minors, right? Instead, if you just communicate it, it will save a lot of hurt feelings, anger, and frustration. A final application is this. And I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32. There in the text is my favorite verse on the subject of of marriage. And that's verse 29. And that's a verse that I have referenced a time or two in our time together. But I'll probably reference it at least another time or two or a hundred in our time together. In verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Accept that which is good for necessary edification, so that it may impart grace to the hearer. And I'm convinced, and I remember the first time this verse struck me. I was sitting down with a couple who were having some very significant marriage problems. And they asked me for help. And I said, sure, I'll I'll do everything I can to use the scripture to help you. I was also 25 years old. (laughs) And it was not married. So I said, I'll help you as much as I can. And it got to a point where I finally made a phone call to a friend of mine who's been preaching for 45 years, who's been married for over 40 years. And I said, Skip, can you come meet with me with these two individuals? And he said, sure, I'll be happy to be there. And he said, Ephesians 4 verse 29 is your problem. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth except that which is good for necessary edification so that it may impart grace to the hearers. And Skip said, if you memorize that verse, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth except that which is good for necessary edification so that it may impart grace to the hearer, and you apply it in your marriage relationship, you won't have any problems. Because you won't say putrid things to one another. Because that's what the word uh, means there, corrupt. It's putrid, it's ugly, it's disgusting, it's... He says, don't let that kind of communication happen in your marriage. And I thought, I wish I would have thought of that. Because that's wise counsel. And so I've used that in marriage counseling. I've used that in wedding ceremonies before. Because I believe that a marriage governed by those verses may not be perfect, but it can be great. Only speak words for purposeful edification. Don't be bitter, don't be overly angry, and then be willing to forgive one another. If those things happen, again, I can't guarantee that you'll never have a squabble or a disagreement, but you will have a marriage that is more meaningful. And I want to say at the conclusion of this, as I said at the outset, that I really appreciate those of you who chose to share not only your feedback a few months ago, but those of you that have shared feedback today, we have a wealth of knowledge in this congregation, which we ought not take for granted in people who have been married for decades. Like I said, we're talking about thousands of years of marriage experience 
just in this building and in our parking lot and those of you that are at home working. And we're so thankful. But more than that, we are thankful for Scripture. We are thankful for God's Word, which leads us to these conclusions. That He is number one. That we are to be united. That the Bible is the center of our marriage manual material. That our spouses are to be valuable. And that indeed, we are to be thoughtful and kind to others. Let it be that when we sing those words, angry words, or let them never, that we apply it not just to our interactions with those in the world, not just to our brethren, but to our own spouses as well. I'll close with this. You, you may find it uh, not surprising that sometimes we save up our frustration for our spouses. All day long, we're dealing with people who we have to have a relationship with or else we don't get a paycheck. You work with these people. You work for these people. They are your clients. They are your customers. They are your uh, whatever. They, they're your patients. They are your students. And so you have to be nice to them. Because if you don't, bad stuff happens. And then you get home and all that frustration is built up and pent up frustration and you take it out on your husband or you take it out on your wife. Sometimes we are nicer to people in the world than we are to the most important person with whom we have a relationship. The same is true in the relationships that we have with our brethren. Sometimes we're rougher on our brethren than we are on outsiders. That ought not be the case. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth except that which is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. I've never been a big proponent of memorizing vast passages. That's because I'm not a very good uh, memorizer. But if you want to work at memorizing a verse over the next month or two, memorize Ephesians 4.29 and then apply it to every relationship and it will be better because of it. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, going back to the point that we made 15 minutes ago, you've not made the most important decision in your life. You may be thinking about who you're going to marry, and that's great. You may be thinking about your next promotion, your next job, whatever the case may be. Those are all important things to think about, but nothing matters more than being a child of God. And we want you to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins yet this evening while you have that opportunity. If... As a child of God, you've already been baptized. You've already made that commitment to Jesus Christ. And you're not living correctly. Perhaps your marriage is off key. Perhaps your personal life is off key. Perhaps it's something that is very private that you need to pray to God about. He has promised in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 to forgive you. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us. And if we can help you or if we can pray for you, or if we can assist you in some way, we would welcome that opportunity. Let us know if we can help while we stand and while we sing.